Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Nick Garris. We recorded this back in June in Lansing, Michigan, right after Earful of Fiddle Music and Dance Camp. And this is a dance episode, so there is an accompanying full video version of this episode on my YouTube channel. You can find a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Some quick announcements before we get started. My old-time trio, Tall Poppy String Band, is touring Colorado next week. Come on out, and if you're not in state, tell your Colorado folks that we're coming through. You can find more info at tallpoppystringband.com shows, and make sure to follow us on social media for updates. We also just released our debut album this last Friday, July 29th, so listen wherever you get your music, and if you write reviews or book for festivals, let's talk. That's enough business for now. Stick around afterwards and I'll tell you how to keep up with Nick Garris. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. On Christmas Eve That muddy <laughs> Nick Garris, welcome back to Get Up in the Thank Hall. you so much, Cameron. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me back. <laughs> what, did, uh, what did we just sing? That's a song called On Christmas Eve. It's written by John Hartford. And I learned it from former guests of the show, Rachel Bayman. Okay. From uh, their great 10-string symphony album. She danced on that record and uh, I was like, oh, this is so great. And then tracked it back. That, that song was a big, was kind of a turning point in my relationship with John Hartford's music. Um, I actually saw John Hartford when I was really young. Um, saw him dance and play. Um, and it, it was not until encountering that piece that I was 
I was like, oh yeah, there's something really, really interesting that inspired me to dig deeper into his music and dancing and the way that those two things are kind of always braided in a gorgeous way. Yeah. Um, and his singing as well. Did it make, well, first, what was it that was different about this one? And did it make you go back and listen to stuff you had maybe not dismissed, but not given a deep listen before? I think it was his facility in choosing the, the particular feel, like to, to dance and play in the, in the feel of that song, um, which seems like uh, it, it was a contrast from some of the other work of his that I'd heard. Um, and then just like, uh, you know, for people who maybe don't know, John Hartford, you know, was kind of constantly moving. He was making music with his feet as he made music with his body. But you could also argue that he was constantly like, you know, he was dancing with his body. I'm not trying to create a music dance dichotomy. I'm actually trying to erase music and dance binaries in my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, his, as, a, as a mover and as a sound maker, uh, that piece was just a... It was a thing, it was a moment for me that I was like, oh, I really need to, to dig into that. And then, I, I, you know, I also have this, you know, in a more, on a more personal note, a kind of preoccupation with the, and curiosity about the mythologies and lore around, especially in the global north, around the, like, shortest days of the year um, and what we create to make meaning around that time and the way we're trying to beckon back you know, certain feelings of warmth and conviviality. And there's so much material and so much culture produced around that. There's some kind of human need around that. So that song fit, really fits into that. And maybe I like it because it's more of a soloistic way of celebrating that time of year and chasing your own pleasure. Um, uh, perhaps, and perhaps refusing in some ways the um, like notions of home and family and perhaps nation that are like all tied yeah. up with like those holidays <laughs> so yeah. I, I like that and i felt like kind of um connected to that i felt like i could live in that in those ideas yeah well i was you sent this to me a couple weeks ago and i was listening to it and i was like yeah here's a person who is following some sort of inner calling and is being questioned for it and is saying I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I want to feel wind. Yeah. And it's like, that's the best explanation I can give. Yeah. And uh, they're like, eschewing all of their, like, sort of, the, the social contracts. Yeah. In order to do what they need to do on Christmas Eve. And for me, like, I don't want to give up the impulse to mark those days. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I want to find ways to, to make meaning, you know, on, this, on the shortest day of the year, and the longest day of the year, on the new year you know, the, the first of the year, the last night of the year. But I, um, I'm trying to figure out like anti-normative ways to do that sure. <laughs> and ways that are expansive and inclusive and that I can, you know, uh, be the like queer celebrant that I am yeah. in, in the, those times. It reminds me of, um, there's some Sufjan interview, Sufjan Stevens interview, <laughs> where he talks about um, Christmas during, I think during college and how he would just spend his Christmases completely alone mm. in his room. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking about that at the time and just like, wow, that is, what's going on? I want to know what's going on in that room. That must be so uh, special and uh, maybe difficult and, and bizarre. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, I feel like this song captures some of that. So when you're saying anti like normative ways, you're saying like I guess the obvious ones would be Christmas, the tradition, and all of the things that you're supposed to do, and all of the um, biases we're supposed to confirm around Christmas time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you don't. You're saying you don't want to give up marking what's like the. Yeah, but I don't want to do it with a monogamous partner. I don't want to build a state, capital S state, during that time. I don't want to like uh, be part of some kind of like um, economic boom season. <laughs> like those are all things that I want to like critique or not be part of or divest yeah. from. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't want to give up the the energy or the like um, the. I think what what is a human impulse, especially in where I come from, uh, to celebrate those short days. Yeah. Um, and I also think there's something about that song that is connected to 
to work and to workers celebrating, finding ways to make that happen um, in the sense that maybe the person who's singing that song is perhaps working on this on this riverboat as well. It might not be a pleasure cruise, it might be a work engagement. So yeah, those are all things that connected with that song. <laughs> yeah, what a, uh, what a, a song that's uh, so dense with meaning. Not very seasonally appropriate, no. <laughs> but, but um, yeah. We just got done with the 14th annual Earful of Fiddle. Yes. And it was our first one back. Yes. And as far as we know, no one contracted COVID. And <laughs> I want to say thank you for conducting the safest group experience I have been to. Uh, that involves indoor spaces, mm. like since all of this got started, mm. and seemingly without sacrificing any, it didn't feel any different, other than I had to infer facial express, expressions from eyes when I was inside. Um, but I didn't feel like I missed out on anything because of that. So thanks for doing that camp and uh, doing it in the way that you did. Thank you. It's not a question. Thanks, <laughs> thank you. I want to say that on record. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being part of it. You're part of that community and our first, some of our first times making sounds and movement together. We're at Earful of Fiddle. Um, yeah, uh, we had a lot of discussions about how, you know, even though perhaps uh, many of the spaces you might walk into in, in our daily life in here in what some people call the United States, um, maybe people aren't thinking so much about COVID safety. Uh, we have members of our community and members of our world for whom contracting COVID would, would actually be a really intense um, and perhaps um, life-threatening experience. So we were trying as much as we can to make that space as inclusive for all abilities, all immuno statuses as yeah. possible. Um, and uh, and we, those folks were able to join us and yeah. hopefully, you know, find some pleasure and some joy and some fun yeah and 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 it was really special it was an incredible assemblage of artists an incredible assemblage of, of students and um i've making that camp is uh an utter joy and something i always <laughs> learn something from and am challenged by um so it, it felt great to have you there and it's really really nice i'm i'm just uh, sort of still glowing from it to be yeah, honest yeah. yeah we just left this morning yeah so. Along those lines, like even before COVID, you had a certain sort of ethos for the camp. You were just saying earlier, off record, you, you said, your full of fiddle is a harm, is a harm reduction model. <laughs> 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 I was wondering if you wanted to, uh, I never know what things you want to actually say on record, but you know, I wonder if, wonder if you would be interested in speaking on that in case there's other uh, organizers listening and they want to maybe be inspired to it feels, it, Yeah, it feels like a, there is a desire in traditional music and dance communities and people who are coming into those communities for people to come and attend a fiddle camp. That is a, that's a desire that a lot of people have. Uh, that desire exists. How do we make that experience more inclusive, expansive, more affirming, more uh, pleasurable for everybody? Um, and that, that's really the mission at the heart of your full fiddle. And it really actually rests on this quote that um, my friend Cleek Shry shared with me from Marcus Martin, the fiddle player from Western North Carolina, who um, when asked about what fiddle playing is for, he said it's for upbuilding. It's for upbuilding people. Mm -hmm. um, so, so music and dance are, you know, they're worth uh, exploring and like worth devoting a lifetime to, but they're also worth using as a means of like, helping people, you know, give them, giving people space to discover who they are and feeling maybe there's uh, facilitating opportunities for people to like, you know, share things about themselves in vulnerable ways or, uh, you know, this all sounds like, um, it sounds like we're trying to create some kind of um, utopia or something. What we're trying to do is just give people a space to, to be who they are and share um, in a way that feels safe and affirming. Yeah. Across many axes of diversity, across race, gender, sexuality, ability, that's what that's the hope of your full fiddle yeah i think it's really interesting uh that you use the, the word and the and the framing of harm reduction because even when i was describing it you said 
you talk you talk about it in the same way that other that that people talk about harm reduction in other situations that are maybe in some ways higher stakes. Mm. Um, you're like <laughs> you're saying, what do we do about this situation that we're in where people want to go to fiddle exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which is like there's like an inherent like this is a almost like a problem to be solved <laughs> I'm not trying to pathologize the impulse to go to fiddle yeah. but I am I am speaking from personal experience and I think other perhaps listeners can relate to the fact that there can be harm caused at you know at these camps and um, questions around like access and yeah. the material implications about who gets to go and what kind of experience yeah. they have and all those things are, are part of the grand question of this strange phenomenon of fiddle, fiddle and dance camp uh, so Earful of Fiddle you know, for over the past 14 years has tried to figure out how to share accessible music, traditional music and dance education for the ability people, for all all people yeah. that's, the, that's the heart of it that's the hope I, uh, I've been thinking about this lately, um, thinking about my experience when I moved from Philly to where I live now, uh, and how, um, anyway, I don't want to call anyone out. What I'll, <laughs> what I'll say is, uh, thinking about, there, there will always be sort of vibes at traditional music gatherings. There will always be clicks. <laughs> there will always be, um kind of like funny, uncomfortable moments or um, uncomfortable moments that like actually really hurt. Like, well, the, the, the ingredients will always be there, rather. Uh, and what makes a really big difference is the, uh, the way that those meetings are structured. Mm -hmm. So that if those ingredients sort of float to the surface, you know, you can um, stir, stir it around again. And I felt like, I feel like at Earful, there's this, um, there's this stirring that's constantly happening. <laughs> All the flavors are mixing and it's built into the design of it. And I loved getting um, agitated, uh, stirred <laughs> around with everyone. Um, it was really special. Mm. Last time and this time. I think especially this time, I think people are so uh, ready to talk to anyone, meet hmm. with anyone. Yeah, there was a, a, a palpable sense of celebration. It was so nice. And, and as a mover, you know, that kind of, um, it's pretty electric when you feel that in the room. I'm, I feel, I felt it standing in front of the, the mass of campers. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that feels like, you know, electricity going through your legs in a nice way. Um, that's the, that's the sensation that I sort of experience, um, you know, really coming at it as a dancer. And that's, that's really my, uh, primary role in, uh, a lot of traditional music and dance circles is as a, as a mover. Um, but I get to organize this, this camp as well. Yeah. What do you want to play next? Well, since we're in, some people call Michigan, Anishinaabeg land, um, past, present, and future land of Dawa, Potawatomi, and Ojibwa people, would you want to do a tune from here? Yeah. Do like um, a tune from Patrick Bonner, uh -huh. really amazing fiddle player who um, came from, his parents came from Donegal, he's recorded in the um, 1930s and uh, his music sits at a really interesting place uh, aesthetically and um, he played for dances in his community um, and this is a tune uh, that was that he recorded called Black Tar on a Stick Good. Thank you. 
That's how that goes. <laughs> Black tar on a stick. <laughs> Do you have any idea where that tale comes from? I think, I think it's a nautical reference because um, Patrick is from Beaver Island, so there would have been a, a tradition of Great Lakes sailing um, going on around him and that, you know, and, and black tar, you know, there's like a reference and archetype around that in, in nautical themes. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, where is Beaver Island? It's off the west coast of Michigan in Lake Michigan. Okay. Um, Trying to imagine that. Yeah. And long, long history um, uh, of like Irish American settlers mm. there, as well as Mormon settlers, yeah. uh, and a kind of conflict. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, uh, uh, yeah, lots and lots of Irish American folks who were on that. And so that's, you know, it's interesting because that was a place where um, musicians were recorded. Um, Ivan Walton and Alan Lomax went there and recorded there. And Patrick Bonner was one of the musicians they met. And there's this really cool body of, of tunes of Patrick Bonner's that I've been trying. I've been trying to get inside them a little bit myself just over the last two years because I, I don't live with a fiddle player. <laughs> um, and I've been trying to think about like what, what, how to like have that melody or those melodies, um, still ring in the dancing that I do, um, even though there's no, no one with a bow in my house. And thinking about also how to have like a relationship with this fiddle player, this, this deceased fiddle player across time, that feels, that feels like a little bit queer. Um, across time, but not across much space. Exactly, yeah, yeah from this area-ish. Yeah. Um, and thinking about how to like get inside the bowing, especially like sort of let the bow arm inform what happens on the floor. Um, a lot of that has to do with trying to hear his ornamentation. That yeah, and the way that the way that he bowed that. So, I'm I'm curious, like technically, what kinds of things are you changing? Um, in order to play along with, at least with Pat Bonner's, maybe not my black tar on a stick, but Pat <laughs> Bonner's black tar on a stick. What kinds of things are, are you um, adjusting in order to match up with what he's doing? You know, like how, how would that be different from other Midwestern fiddle traditions or Southern Appalachian stuff or Irish stuff? Mm -hmm. like how are you mixing that stuff? I think there's an invitation with Patrick Bonner's playing to, to draw from many different percussive dance vocabularies, which is something I'm interested in doing anyway. Yeah. Um, really following, you know, the work of uh, a dancer that I met when I was a teenager named Sandy Silva, who, who worked ethnographically and let a lot of different dance practices have dialogue within her own movement. And that she somehow managed to create like really path-breaking contemporary work that is both ethnographic and auto-ethnographic. So there's like herself in dialogue with these traditions. Of course, too. yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of meeting Sandy and um, thinking about like, what are, the, what are the rudiments from different percussive dance practices, whether that's Irish step dancing or Appalachian flat footing or percussive dance from what some folks call Canada, um, Shannos dancing, uh, you know, what rudiments make sense with that particular melody? Because I don't, there's no film of anyone step dancing that I'm aware of. I've not discovered or I've been made aware of any film of anyone step dancing on Beaver Island. So I'm thinking about like how to like yeah. get inside that music through, li literally through the sounds of the bowing and then imagine what the dance practice was, is like. Reverse engineering. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Cool, um, Yeah, and so part of that is like, uh, you know, there are certain, um, Things that he'll do consistently and trying to really listen to those things and follow uh, but then also thinking about like not just following the melody but actually kind of becoming the melody and duetting with him um, so for example in the B section of that tune there's this I'm thinking about that big descending phrase yeah. and maybe both literally move, moving up and down, but like also um, having some space, whereas maybe a, 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 an Irish step dancing step might move through that whole phrase. 
Yeah. Instead of trying to think about the, the bowing as a kind of invitation for space in the footwork. It was really fun to, there's, there's a lot, there are invitations for space. In yeah. That tune, yeah. Which I often, like, I want to plow through those too as a banjo player. Mm. And then mm. in that tune, it was like, you give the, especially in this room. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you've got to make space in this room. Yeah, Patrick Bonner. Patrick Bonner has been a little bit of a um, companion over the last two years as I was sheltering alone, yeah. <laughs> just listening to those recordings a lot and uh, figuring out how to, if there's a way to share my encounter with his, you know, music in digital spaces and and, and then now it's like um, getting able to play some of those tunes. I know Jake Blunt plays that yeah. tune as well and. Nice. Thanks for learning that too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what do you want to play next? Maybe let's play um, the Pride of America. Okay, great. <laughs> well, this is on my, my band's new album. Congratulations. I don't know if I told you that. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm the yeah. tall poppy fan. Where does the tune? I actually don't know this. So it's from the tune you showed me. Yeah, it's from the Hamblin Collection, which is this. It's this family. They have this. Um, transcription, the, the, all of their tune transcriptions in, uh, in this book. There's no audio recordings of them, just the dots and lines. And um, there are some really cool tunes in there that don't seem to exist anywhere else. Thank you for learning it. Of course. Yeah. yeah, thanks for showing it to me. It's such an evocative title, Pride of America. Uh-huh. Like, it makes me think, I mean, there's so many things that it, it conjures. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, like, it's June when we're recording this. So. I know. Well, I, I, <laughs> I I was thinking about that. I was thinking about like, uh, you know, like thinking and trying to read more around the contributions of like black and brown trans women and sex workers, you know, who are really like the reason that we celebrate this month. And then also thinking about, um, I think it's Michael O'Rourke. He's an Irish queer theorist who who. has always said that he finds we have a much greater theoretical obligation to revalue shame than pride um which i think is like a really interesting idea and one and one that definitely resonates in some ways like we can learn an awful lot about shame (laughs) Um, and then the the only other thing i was going to toss out is that i've been reading some more work by eli claire in the kind of intersection of like disability studies and queer studies and um they talk a lot about like witness and pride and this distinction of, of being witnessed and having, you know, and having pride and what we really need in this moment. And um, yeah, I was just thinking about all that. I was such as I was trying to learn this tune and um, feel like, you know, what, okay, what are the implications of pride of America? How are we, how are we exporting um, queer uh, identitarianness in a kind of col- like probably colonial way you know, as a nation, <laughs> um, you know, what are the ideas around like uh, coming out in pride? Like, for example, I've written other places about like how coming out in many ways is it like Ameri- American British kind of phenomenon. Yeah. For example, in Ireland, it would be different um, huh. where you would like, instead of come out of the closet, you might just come out. And it's like maybe a little bit different people don't say the word closet very much in Ireland. It's like the press is the cabinet. Yeah. So there's this kind of funny um, imposition of American coming out ritual that has to happen a lot of times that can sometimes gloss over the cultural specificity of queerness in its locations, other places. Right, because what is queer in one space is is, um, maybe the law of the land in another space or or maybe is Yeah, and it certainly bears relevance if we think about colonialism and imperialism, like the ways that like queerness existed in many places, or what we might call queerness existed, and then was um, punished, eradicated, pathologized, incarcerated. You know. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, this tune doesn't. I don't. You know, it's like it seems like it's a depiction versus endorsement kind of thing. You know, (laughs) you know, the tone of this tune is like 
it's not necessarily saying like this is good pride, you know, like right. we're proud. Look at us. It's yeah. like a very kind of solemn and yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the times that I came out, I used social media, and um, you know, people were very uh, celebratory for the most part, and there were you know, there was the obligatory uh, family religious panic. <laughs> that happened as well. Um, but I had one, one person, because um, this was in June of 2020, one person said um, to earn the explicit tag on Apple Podcasts, fuck those gay cops. Mm-hmm. And this was actually a, a gay person or a queer person who said <laughs> this. And uh, I remember having this like kind of internal. Um, fussiness and also like it hurt my feelings because I was like can I just have like one moment like in the middle of your doom scrolling and my doom scrolling <laughs> like can we just like celebrate this for a second mm-hmm. you know but I like want you know uh, I wanted this like you know coming out moment of experience and then this other you know the, it was probably like the one little bit of career gatekeeping that I received mm-hmm. and uh, and you know like I don't know I think about that from time to time, and then I've been starting to hear some discourse around the privilege of coming out and what that means in our context. And mm-hmm. yeah, I thought about that. And uh, I mean, ultimately, I mean, I agree with him. Yeah. But I think he was trying to kind of be like, "This is this is not what matters right now." Mm. You know? <laughs> uh, well, and there was a lot of discussion. I remember in June 2020, uh, uh, and continuing about like the about police presence at Pride and the the fact that like yeah that Pride was initially about police brutality and about uh, a refusal to be um, subjected by the carceral state so yeah yeah wow that's really intense yeah Um, it's kind of an interesting uh, sensitive uh, mm -hmm. uh, moment that I think about a lot and Mm -hmm. that has become valuable to me yeah Hmm. Pride of America. I'm so glad I came out then. Met a lot of cool people that way. <laughs> I'm happy for you. I'm so glad for you, actually. In, in utter sincerity, I say that. Me too, real quick.
<laughs> nice. When you started that halftime group, I was like, where are they going? Like, what are they going to do at the top of the beat? <laughs> was it before I kicked the chair or yeah, after? before you kicked the chair. <laughs> <laughs> do 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 I love it. Beautiful tune. Beautiful Pride. Tune. Pride. Shame of America. Pride of America. I'll write the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's something also about like, uh, yeah, in thinking about like one another one of the tunes that we were working on together, this um, sense of utter, like embracing of camp mm-hmm. as a kind of... Um, a, f- a form of resistance, not the only form of resistance, but a part of that. That makes me think about like uh, the Rhode Island Regimental March. It feels connected to that in some way. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, should, we should do that next, and you should tell uh, you should tell everyone what you told me and the class that we taught together, like why you specifically oh. chose this <laughs> tune. <laughs> Well, the tune, um, I think, was found by um, Armand Araman and Benedict Gagliardi, who are former guests of the show, and uh, have a great duo called the Vox Hunters. And I, I have, you know, I kind of, the tune was in my ears a little bit, but I have like a, <laughs> I was like, oh, too bad about that title, that, that, that tune. I have like a regimental. kind of, yeah, I have like an aversion to anything. It's called the Rhode Island Reg- Regimental March. And I have anything, you know, any kind of music or or content that smacks of like regimentality or like, you know, armed military, military state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just like, ah, that's probably not for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was listening to it the morning here in Michigan when uh, some people who are part of various armed groups in our state uh, entered the Capitol building with weapons. Um, it was quite a scary day. It was in May of uh, 2020 and nobody was harmed that day. Um, though we know subsequently that similar groups have had have plotted all kinds of other violence. Um, but when that happened, and it happened you know, mere blocks from where I live in Lansing, here in Lansing, Michigan, um, I was like, okay, how, you know, in addition to, like, all the other things that we're trying to do to, like, work against those forces, how do we, like, (laughs) just make space for a kind of camp resistance to that (laughs) regimentality? So I was like, okay, let's make, let's learn this tune and make some steps. And so I, like, made a set of steps to the Rhode Island Regimental March, which is kind of this, the steps feel like a mix or between, like, um, old-style Irish step dancing the Maggie Pickens, which is from Donegal, and then also like um, Ottawa Valley style clogs. All of the and all of those um, mediums engage camp in some uh, way. And when I say camp, I mean I guess referencing their um, predilection towards excess of some kind. Okay. There's there's a kind of like um, bent toward excess in all of those genres of yeah. step dancing <laughs> um, at a certain in in one way or another. So I I really like that. Uh, and yeah, that's how I was like, okay, this tune, it seems like it's part of that. <laughs> yeah, it is a very sequiny, yes, uh, sequiny arrangement and tune. Yeah. Over the top. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, um, have you ever seen the Mummer's Day Parade in Philadelphia? In no. Philadelphia? no. So in Philadelphia, uh, they don't do New Year's Eve. New Year's Day, okay. they drink all day, and there's the Mummer's Day Parade, there's the main one is killing in South Philly, and it's like all of these, like mostly, mostly as far as I can tell, middle-aged men who are in these string bands, and the string bands are, and this is January 1st, hmm. string bands are um, tenor banjos, wow. uh, marching upright basses. Wow. Bizarre uh, saxophones hmm. and maybe some accordions. Wow! Uh, and all of these like uh, cath- 
Catholic, um, like uh, uh, South Philly dudes come out <laughs> and they are putting on a drag show and they are in full you know, feathers, sequins, the, the gaudiest outfits mm. I've ever seen. Uh, sometimes it's, it's actually often it's like very problematic, like they, they'll, do, they'll do some really um, upsetting things or <laughs> culturally, um, I don't know, Hillary Clinton effigy, effigies and stuff like that. Whoa. Not that I'm a fan. <laughs> But like stuff like that. But there is this like really weird mix of regimentality and like and camp. And uh, that's what I was thinking about while you were teaching this too. This this dear sweet mowers (laughs) in Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) They have one day to wear some color. (laughs) One day to shine. Well, and I think it brings in the idea in some ways about the like. The, the inherent campness of regimentality, how that is a kind of excess, yeah. how like the uniformity of like drill team. Yeah. Um, like goose looks so stupid. Right, okay, so <laughs> like even, you know, um, military uniform is, yeah. is a camp gesture in some ways. And I think the person who writes about that in a way that I think is interesting is um, Jack Halberstam, trans writer. Um, and uh, thinking about about that kind of sense of excess and uh, yeah, just being curious about that. Um, yeah, Rhode Island Regimental March. Yeah, let me mm-hmm. get it. physical patterns and then find new ones and let the yeah let the synapses guide other things and I guess yeah there's something about that too with movement because there there are certain um there are conventions within you know 
percussive dance practices. Uh, and, and I've been thinking especially about like uh, within what's become kind of uh, collated as flat-footed technique. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, the, the way that certain, um, certain rhythmic ideas are actually really hard to accomplish. Um, even like some bowing patterns uh, that are perhaps a little bit syncopated or there are some anticipations. Uh, it feels like the last two years is another one of the things that I've been trying to work on as, with my students because, and I just want to say thank you if my students are listening to people who, anybody who's, who's taken a Zoom lesson or tuned into a live stream or, um, it means so much and also um, is buoying in more ways than one. So thank you everybody who's engaged uh, just digitally over the last couple of years as we're trying to figure out how to continue to share what we make and also to continue to subsist um, in what's been going on in the last two years. But uh, especially thinking about my students who wanted to learn their Appalachian dance or dance in the Appalachian region and thinking about how to um, to possibly uh, find things in the in what I've received as a non-Appalachian person yeah. and like figure out like how do I encounter this music in the way that makes sense to my ears and the way that makes sense to the ears of the people I'm collaborating with um, and, and, and it does involve some breakage so for example like one of the bowing patterns that I, f I find is challenging is duga uh, gida. It's in so many phrases. So that you know this walking step that we're so familiar with, is the way that a lot of that gets finished. But there's ways that you can kind of subvert that. It reminds me of what you're talking about in terms of breaking the stroke of your own practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to figure out that. that that's an important rhythm. Very important yeah. and very prominent. And yeah. and none of the <laughs> flat footing that I received as a student, you know, and as a, a child and teenager, um, was imitative of that yeah. particular. And not, and not to say that everything has to um, be uh, mimetic. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm interested in in trying to kind of have a pretty melodic approach. I'm really I have a sort of like obsession with melody yeah. <laughs> and melodies, as you probably noticed. <laughs> I can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> right there. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah, when I, uh, I, I run into some like similar, I back myself into similar corners and then try to get it out when I'm talking about when, when I'm giving banjo workshops, because I also like melody. Yes. And um, you know, some people think that the banjo doesn't need to be pretty, and it has mm -hmm. to be soulful and masculine and driving, and we don't want to play lines on the banjo because it's not what it's for. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it's not that like yeah, I, I, it's not that I want everyone to only play lines and to not have drive or whatever, and like to to copy everything that the fiddle is doing. But there is something important about being able to hear something and then having a direct line to the body part that needs to make that happen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, every once in a while that means hearing something that the fiddle is doing and hearing an idea that that happens to mimic it. Yeah. Or maybe hearing something else that breaks the stroke. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's it's also important to remember that these are not impositions um, from arbitrary sources. Like these are things that are in the musical repertoire yeah. that exist that that you know, as people who maybe don't necessarily play the fiddle, we're trying to like figure out how to displace that, you know, in our own practice. Yeah. Um, you know, the same could be said of like, uh, yeah, bowing or like listening, listening to um, things where perhaps this like uh, a bow triplet, you know, which might not occur very often in flat footing technique, yeah. trying to figure out ways to make that happen yeah. uh, with, you know, the rudiments that a lot of flat-footing is made of. That's a hope for me. Yeah. That's I'm working on. <laughs> we have time for one more. Before we do that, where do people go to keep up to date with everything that you're doing? You have a thing coming out. I so do, is yes. Is it like announced yet? Can we talk about it? It's not announced, but... but you've I, been performing it. I can talk about it, yeah. yeah I, um, I, I work with... I'm, I feel so grateful to... Um, to have a lot of collaborative projects with, with um, musicians or 
dancers who hold things. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. Exactly. I tried to quote you recently on the show. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Nick Garrelis strikes again. <laughs> uh, so between, yeah, I've been um, I've been really excited about a new duo collaboration with Jake Blunt. Um, there's a, a new video out around that um, and some more stuff coming out soon. Um, some, there's some work that happened over the last two years on Laurel Primo's record, um, Golden Loam. Uh, people can check out Jake's site and Laurel's site and their socials for that stuff. But there's something happening in the fall with a, another banjo player that I work with named Allison DeGroote. Uh, <laughs> uh, Allison and I spent... Um, the last fall uh, in an intensive period of residency working on the music of Hobart Smith in particular from Southville, Virginia and uh, really thinking about not only his music but his dancing. He was also a dancer. He was uh, said to say he never lost a dancing contest. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, and my friend Michael Ling um, shared uh, some, some cool things that she encountered, you know, working as a folklorist um, through the Henry Glassy archives of Hobart Smith. Yeah. Um, so big thanks to Micah and to Henry. Uh, yeah, and thinking about, about that. So we made a visual album of our dialogue with Hobart Smith's material. It isn't a, um, it is not a replication of the field recordings. It is like a, a dialogue, an argument or a conversation with them. That's the kind of place that we're at yeah. with that. I think that's in general where we're at with the art, the archive, capital A. Like yeah. I think we, you know, we had these like, I think Gary West is the person who talks about these three phases of archive. First phase is like, go in, put stuff in the archive, yeah. stick your microphones in people's faces, capture material, shove it away for posterity. Second phase is go into the archive and take stuff out and put it on stage for money, usually. Right. <laughs> um, and third, you know, and third phase is maybe um, engaging with archival material to create some, something new or having a dialogue with it, um, which is, I think, what's been happening for a while now in traditional musics from many, many places. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I'm really excited about it. It's, uh, it's something that will be out in the fall, and it's called The Thrill, because that's a quote from Hobart, who said that music fills you with a thrill you just can't express. So it's uh, audio and video, visual and audio component. And hopefully it'll be out this autumn. I can't wait. With Alison Degree. In the meantime, you can look at my website, nickgarris.com. I have a place where you can sign up for a mailing list. Um, there's a, I'm most active on Instagram. It's my other social media uh, that I try and maintain. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me again, Cameron. Yeah, yeah, thanks for all the, all the stuff that you do and uh, all the stuff that you say. Really getting to know you three years ago at Air Full of Fiddle was really important to me. And um, you exposed me to a lot of cool stuff. And I feel like I'm a different um, person now. And, and I end in a way that I like. And uh, thanks for your help with that. Wow, I'm excited for people to listen to you speak when I post this. I'm flattered and it's mutual. Thank you. Thank you. Would you like to play Cindy? Yeah. This, I, think we should do Cindy. I really like this version of Cindy. Yeah. This is um, from a, a dancer, actually, West Virginia dancer named D. Ray White, who sang and danced Cindy at the same time. <laughs> and um, yeah, a really cool version. Some um, just some interesting variation and his um, there's something uh, really enjoyable about the interaction between his voice and his, his movement in the video that we have of him um, so yeah, Cindy oh. okay, yeah. you ready? An apple hanging on that tree Every time that he would pass He'd take a bite of me Get along home Get along home Get along home I'm gonna leave 
Visit Nick's website, nickgarris.com, follow him on social media at nickgarrislfi, and buy his music on Bandcamp at nickgarris.bandcamp.com to find more opportunities to enjoy his music. Also, that's the best way to hear news about The Thrill, his visual album of Hobart Smith music with Alison DeGroote. You should also check out his band This Is How We Fly, thisishowwefly.net, at this is how we fly on social media and this is how we fly.bandcamp.com for their albums. And finally, check out earfulofiddle.com and follow them on social media. And when they announce registration for Earful of Fiddle 2023, sign up. I can't recommend it enough. You can support Get Up in the Cool by sharing the show with a friend or sharing and liking the video posts on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Help fund this podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. Make sure to follow Tall Poppy String Band on social media for tour dates and announcements. We're coming to Colorado next week. Hope to see you there. Check the link in the show notes for Get Up in the Cool merch and rep your favorite old-time podcast at the next Fiddler's Convention. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional Clawhammer banjo series or to schedule a lesson with me. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box set, available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. And again, everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool. 